Good morning. If you're a visitor here this morning, um, you are very welcome here today. My name's Raj. I'm one of the elders uh, at Jubilee Church along with um, Simon and Sarush. So this morning, as uh, someone's let the cat out of the bag, no, actually it was on our journey, wasn't it? Uh, We're going to be kicking off, I was very encouraged by a lot of the contributions this morning, we're going to be kicking off our new sermon series going right through to the summer, interspersed by different things, Easter and various visiting speakers, Don Smith in the coming weeks, uh, John Hosier in a few months. Um, And the question that our next lot of sermons will be looking at in detail, we're not going to be rushing this one. It's so important to the Christian life. It's so important to the church. And that's the big, big question. Who am I? Who am I? How do you see yourself? What defines and shapes what you're about, what you do? Malcolm really brought that to us uh, this morning, didn't he? For those of you who are as old as me, you'll remember the TV series hosted by Les Dawson called... I think it was Les Dawson. Blankety Blank! Blankety blank. Um, and uh, where you had to complete, da- Gavin's just going, what? Um, <laughs> um, where you had to complete a half started phrase. Um, and, and the half started phrase for the coming months is, I am dot 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 question mark. What are you going to fill that blank with? Who am I? On the surface, it might seem quite an easy question, actually. Uh, but deep down, this is a question um, where, uh, that philosophers, counsellors, um, all sorts of sociologists, all sorts of people uh, have been perplexed and confused. Society's been perplexed and confused. Cultures have been perplexed and confused by this very question for years. It's a question, um, it's a question that is at the root, if you like, of all kinds of suffering and despair and injustice and depression and breakdown. It's a question about the meaning of life, purpose, hope, big questions. Why? Why? Because how you see yourself, how you see who you are, results in what you think, what you feel, what you say, and what you do. Your identity, Jubilee, affects everything. Who am I? Now, we're really going to go back a few years. Gavin probably wasn't even born then. <laughs> Today... Uh, to the days of hand-drawn cartoons. And who remembers Popeye the Sailor Man? Come on, Eric, you can put your hand up. (laughs) Popeye the Sailor Man. This was a brilliant cartoon from long, long ago. We used to watch this every week, sit in front of the TV. It was exciting. I loved how Popeye would get into tricky situations, requiring him to be strong. And when this this strength was needed, he would take a can of spinach out of his hat and gulp it down. And, And his muscles would pop up on his legs and arms and his tattoos would start getting bigger and his pipe would waggle and he was ready for action. Popeye the sailor man. Olive oil was his lady friend, and or Mrs. We not we never actually um, quite we're not actually quite sure of the um, nature of their relationship, and they get up to all sorts. I'm talking about adventures. <laughs> but but what I also remember, looking back on it, 
was Popeye's very, very profound, deep statement about the human condition. Do you remember it? It's up there, isn't it? What did he used to say? This hero of mine, when he was frustrated, when he wasn't sure what to do, when he felt inadequate, Popeye would simply say, I am what I am. I am what I am. You see, Popeye, as you can see, wasn't a very sophisticated guy. He'd never been to counselling. He didn't have lots of GCSEs or degrees as far as we know. He wasn't a man of status or office. He was a simple, seafaring, pipe-smoking, olive-oil-loving sailor man. He wouldn't pretend to be anything else, but every time he said those words, there seemed to be a note of sadness about him. It tugged on our heartstrings a little. It was generally offered as an explanation of his inadequacies or his shortcomings. Don't get your hopes up he kind of seemed to say when he said it. Don't expect too much from me. I am what I am. And when things really got bad, he'd say, I am what I am, and that's all I am. And when you really think about it, that's the sad cry of the human race. The struggle between inner disappointment and hope. I am what I am, that's all I am. You see, we live in an age of identity crisis. People are not secure in who they are. Always craving, yearning to be the next best thing, the things that others want them to be. Never satisfied, always frustrated, projecting these insecurities on others, their kids, family members, friends, always looking to stuff more stuff or people to pack their lives and to bring meaning and worth. And you know what? It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing at all. It's an age-old thing. You see, the identity crisis in human nature goes way, way back to our first parents, doesn't it, in the Garden of Eden? In this very profound and sophisticated ancient dialogue, In Genesis, origins, the beginning of beginnings, that's what Genesis means. We see the fall and root of humanity's identity confusion. Genesis is a very insightful book. It's not just a kid's book. Right at the start, we have an account of God beautifully, miraculously creating the universe, the world, everything. And the climax of all creation is making man and woman. And so he puts them, Adam and Eve, in this perfect, in his perfect place, paradise, a garden brimming with life and provision and wholeness and purpose. God and humanity in perfect harmony together, secure in who they are, what the Bible calls shalom. And the one thing that God says to Adam and Eve in this garden, the only condition, if you like, is never, ever eat from the tree of life. You'll have noticed when he says that, we don't quite get the significance of why he said that, but you'll have noticed he never tells them why they are not to eat of this tree. He never gives them a reason for not eating the fruit from it. He just says, look, will you trust me on this one? Will you obey me purely because you love me and have faith in me? Not for anything else, not for any other selfish, personal gain that you might get get from it, just because you love me. 
And we know the story, don't we? The serpent, the snake, the devil, Adam and Eve uh, uh, gets, uh, uh, gets them to question, the, the devil gets them to question God, gets them to want them to be like God, gets them to want to separate their identity from God. And the beautiful shalom of paradise starts to unravel and unwrap. Tragic, tragic, very insightful. Um, Genesis. Eve eats the fruit of the tree. Adam eats the fruit of the tree. The intimate life-giving trust is broken between Adam and God, humanity and the divine. And then everything will never be the same again until one day. God calls out to Adam when everything changes, when this happens, when this tragic breakdown occurs. God calls to Adam, where are you? He was hiding, you see. He was ashamed. Something had happened, and he knew it. And then eventually Adam says to God, I heard you in the garden, Lord, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That is a phenomenal statement. And then God says to him very profoundly, his reply is, but who, Adam, told you that you were naked? If you think about it, Adam and Eve were made naked. They never owned clothes. They danced naked. They ate naked. They walked naked. Nakedness wasn't a problem to them like it is to us. I can see you're all cringing. In fact, Genesis 2.25, a bit before, tells us Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So rightfully, very rightfully, God asks Adam... Who told you, Adam, that you were naked? What has changed? And this is where identity comes into it. You see, nakedness in the Bible represents something far greater than not just having your pants on. Nakedness means something much bigger. Nakedness means to be known, to be vulnerable. It's a who I am issue. Nakedness uh, is someone seeing into your very being real openness and vulnerability. And before Adam and Eve had sinned and went against God, being fully seen wasn't a problem. They had nothing to prove. They knew they were loved. Their identity in God was clear right from the start. Genesis 1 says this, Let us make mankind in our image, says God. God's saying, I want to make you in my image already, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Malcolm said, hear what God says about you. That's our intended identity, to be little reflections of God, mirror images of the glory of God, multiplying, filling the earth, bringing light and love in the schools, in the cities, everywhere. But the Apostle Paul summarizes what has gone so tragically wrong in our culture, in the worlds we live in. He says this in Romans 1, Their humanity exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than their creator. 
At that moment, as Adam and Eve chose to defy God, to crack apart this beautiful life-giving relationship of trust and closeness, the fountain of who they were, actually, suddenly their nakedness becomes a problem. Now it becomes painful and shameful and unacceptable for God to uh, see their heart, to see them uncovered, to see them for real. Now it's, I am what I am, and that's all I am. Suddenly, the who am I question becomes something we have to hide, to manage, to exaggerate, or fabricate, or fudge. We have to control what information uh, uh, about ourselves others find out about. With fig leaves, and tall trees, and makeup, and diets, and emails, and Facebook entries, and deleted computer histories, and labels, and lies, and parties, and cleaning, and striving, and uh, defensiveness, and charity, and religious behavior, and, and, and important titles, and awards, and badges, and degrees, and GCSEs, and ble- it goes on, and on, and on. Do you see that? Do you see that? We cannot show God or others the real me. We cannot perfectly cover our shame, our guilt. The trees and the fig leaves are just not big enough. That is the catastrophic, cataclysmic story of Genesis. Who am I? I don't know. And I certainly don't want you to know. But the who am I question is also an issue of worship. That's what the Apostle Paul said, didn't he? Mark Driscoll writes about it like this. Our worship never starts and stops. Rather, our entire life is devoted to pouring ourselves into someone or something or both. Saying it another way, we are unceasing, continuous worshippers. We aren't created to worship We're created worshipping. That is the reality of who we are. We are all pouring ourselves unceasingly, says Mark Driscoll, whether we see ourselves as religious or not, or people of faith or not, into things we must have, into duties we must do, into relationships that we can't live without, into desires and dreams that control us, into our past hurts that end up defining us. Not all these things are bad things, but when they become the main thing, the things we worship, when they become God to us, they control us. We become addicted to them. They can't deliver. They can't withstand the pressure that we put on them. They crumble and fall and so do we. As Alexis de Tocqueville recorded way back in 1830, I kept on saying Alexi Sale when I was there, reading this, but no, a different guy, Alexis de Tocqueville, recorded way back in 1830 in his famous observations on America, he said, the incomplete joys of this world will never, ever satisfy the human heart. So now for the bad news. No. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Is there an answer? Is life this big, big trap that kind of winds on for 70 or so years? And then, who am I? I am what I am. That's all I am. What do we do? What do we do? And that's what this next sermon series is about. 
You see, we either try, try, try to stop being controlled by these other things we, we, we pack our, we pack our, that we pack our lives with or we look to uh, for meaning and significance or we muster up enough willpower to live differently, do the right thing, repenting of our idols. Those are definitely important things. Uh, uh, to, those, those, those are important things. Christian life is very much part of obedience and trusting God and you know, putting, putting the right things in our lives. But that's not the main thing. That's not the Christian gospel of grace. That kind of effort won't last. It doesn't change the heart. In fact, it only puts you in control if you can sort out your problems. You become the answer, possibly in exaggerating one of your biggest idols of all. You. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? What's the answer then? In 1 Corinthians 15.10, the Apostle Paul says this, and it's phenomenal. It's groundbreaking. It's changed the lives of millions, billions of people across the globe. It's fact. He says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Something else is defining me. This isn't a Popeye situation anymore. He's not describing the despairing Popeye, but someone who even in the midst, if you know the Apostle Paul, who even in the midst of trials and suffering sees pure joy and hope and purpose, a new identity in God, freely restored to how it was meant to be in Christ. Not in Adam anymore. Andrew Wilson writes um, about this whole, the whole, this whole thing about nakedness. In, the, in Genesis 1, he writes, Nakedness and transparency before God, intended as blessings, had now become a disgrace through the corrupting power of sin. But there is one thing in the world that can overcome disgrace, and that is grace. Grace. That's the answer of the Bible. That's God's answer to His humanity, His created, loved humanity. He doesn't want us to be boxed in like Jude was boxed in that little box and Malcolm said to us. That's not how God sees you in Christ, as Amanda said. The Apostle Paul phrases it differently. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15.22. He says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 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 Do you get it? The Apostle Paul is saying, this is what defines me now. Somehow his life is wrapped up in Jesus' life in a way that the former things that defined him before don't anymore. They've stopped defining him. He is in Christ now. All of his big shot previous life, he talks about it in Galatians, being a great spiritual leader, Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, faultless. These are some of the terms that he would have described himself as. All these badges of the past, what does he say about them now? It tells us in Philippians 3, this is the message version, the very credential. The very credentials these people are waving around as, as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. That's 
Philippians 3. But also, he says, I'm not defined by my guilt and shame either. The Apostle Paul was a very complex man. He was the murderer of many Christians. After his conversion, that would have tore at his soul. He would have heard Stephen crying out on the cross, the first Christian martyr, his now brother in Christ, forgiving the Apostle Paul as he was breathing his last in agony. A man filled with God the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes about it probably in 1 Corinthians 15. I am the least of the apostles. That's what he's saying now about himself. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he's, so he's also saying that these scars in my life are not defining me either. This past. Not my badges of success, not my upbringing, but also not my pain or shame of the past. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We need to get this. He's in Christ now, and so are we if we trust in Jesus. He's found a source of worship that could never fail him, never destroy, never burden him again. A totally new identity. Um, it's not a problem to be naked and vulnerable before God, his Father, anymore. That's the deal. That's the answer to the fig leaves. That's the answer to Popeye's condition of the heart. That's the answer to humanity's desperate, desperate, desperate identity crisis. That's what we're going to be looking at over the coming months. Who are we? We are found in him firm and steadfast, rooted, strong in Christ. Is that how you see yourself? Because that's how God sees you. The Apostle Paul coined that very term, in Christ, to, to describe something very radical, very unusual for his time. A term he used 216 times in his letters. It wasn't even that kind of language that in Christ, phraseology wasn't even used in literature and the writing of his day. He kind of had to make it up. This message of Christianity was altogether new, unheard of up until now. Grace in religious settings was altogether unique. It still is. You are in Christ. That's what makes Christianity so out there compared to other beliefs and worldviews and religions. Grace is God doing everything for you rather than you doing everything for God. Christianity isn't about a set of rules and regulations to get into God's good books. We've totally died, died to the law, says Galatians. But rather, the gospel is news, great news, joy news, declaring that God has already done so. Uh, that we who were formerly in Adam, always dishonoring, always disrespecting, disregarding this holy, beautiful God, can now, now, phenomenally, amazingly come into his presence, totally forgiven, restored, accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ, paying the price on the cross for all of our rebellion. Gosh, what a gospel. Undeserved, totally free. As Spurgeon said about the cross, about Jesus on the cross, 
He said, Jesus Christ was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people, forsaking him, denying him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in the universe, he stayed for you and for me. Amazing grace. No condemnation anymore, no shame. I am what I am by the grace of God in Christ. A new creation, born again spiritually alive with purpose and adventure running through my soul in Christ forgiven, loved, adopted victorious, alive, chosen righteous, sealed in Christ, in Christ that's who you are, Jubilee this is a season to be totally and radically fired up by this amazing grace filled gospel truth, take hold of it take hold of it I'm going to end with this. It's, um, it's part of a book called The, the Whisper Test. Uh, the Whisper Test about a lady called Mary Ann Bird who was born with multiple severe birth defects. Um, she, her cleft palate and how she looked um, and how she visually looked was one of the things that really troubled her over the years, particularly in childhood. It became an identity crisis for her. This is the story of something that happened which changed her forever. And this is what it says. I, Mary Ann Bird, grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow, it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Every year, annually, we'd have a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class to check we could hear properly. And finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years, from seeing this, um, um, that as we stood against a door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we'd have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky. Or, do you have any shoes? And I waited for these words, and, and I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life, my identity. And Mrs. Leonard said this in her whisper I wish you were my little girl. I wish. You were my little girl. She heard it. The band can come up. That would be great. And this jubilee is what God is whispering to us as he did to Jesus because we are in him now. Jubilee, remember, as Jesus was baptized in the river, jubilee Jesus is whispering, shouting, declaring over you, 
You are my sons and daughters whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He said that over Jesus before he had done a thing. Any ministry, any healing, anything. With you I am well pleased and I love you. It's a whisper that every one of us must hear him say into our hearts. Every one of us with misshapen spirits, with crooked hearts and lopsided paths and garbled motivations. This is it. In Christ, I love you and I am pleased with you, Jubilee. That's who you are now, cherished, cherished. On the cross, Jesus says, I love you. I choose you. I want you to be my little girl, my little boy. I'll do anything to make that happen, whatever the cost. And he did. It is finished. We're going to end with worship, but I would like to end with um, a few people helping me out. So those of you who I gave those um, printouts to, could you all come to the front? And, and Sue, if you can come to the front as well. And if I could have the microphone, that would be helpful too. If you could line up this side and that side and do what, assume, do, do what I said. Come along, Sue. These are some of the themes that the Bible talks about could only print it on my work printer, so if you squint your eyes small enough, you'll be able to see them. These are some of the themes, these are some of the truths that God declares over all of you and all of you. They're themes that give us purpose and identity because we are in Christ. It says this in Colossians 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, as Malcolm said, not what people say to you, not all those other things, not on earthly things, for you died to Adam and your life is now hidden with Christ. Sue, as part of the Create team, wrote a poem about this a few weeks ago as we were worshipping. Is that right? Did you actually write? She wrote it. And so um, I'd really like her to share that now. And then we're going to stand and we're going to worship. Sue. Um, It actually came from the scripture, Who am I that you would love me? My identity. In Jesus I am forgiven. In Jesus I am strong. In Jesus, I'm forgiven for all in me that's wrong. In Jesus, I am stronger. In Jesus, I am free. In Jesus, I am able to become all that is me. In Jesus, my eyes are open. In Jesus, I can see. In Jesus, my heart is broken to release the love in me. In Jesus, I can go out. In Jesus I can stand. In Jesus who is with me, with the Spirit in the land. Who am I that you would love me? The answer is clear and true. Jesus, I was no one until I was in you. Excellent. Well done, Sue. We can have some music.